Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by ProServe PR Marketing, a Chicago public relations and marketing firm with legal PR practice areas covering family law, litigation, and intellectual property. Please show your support for our programming by visiting and clicking the like button on our social media pages. First, we have the Law Talk Radio Facebook page, and second, the ProServe PR Marketing and Litigation page. You can also listen to any of our episodes on demand, and you can find those episode links on media releases that we publish for each episode. You can also visit ProServePR.com and use the embedded radio player located on our Law Talk radio page on our website. You can also check out some recent links of different articles and content while you listen. Support for both Law Talk Radio and the Money Talk Radio program that we do uh, periodically comes from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today's show is New Advocacy in Family Law with Sandra Crawford. Sandra Crawford returns to Law Talk Radio to update our audience about advocacy in family law and domestic relations. Some family law attorneys engage in traditional litigation, while others focus on mediation and collaboration. New advocacy concepts and umbrellas pull from a variety of approaches and suggest flexibility and civility in serving family law clients with a results-driven plan. Ms. Sandra Crawford is a Chicagoland family law attorney. She's dedicated her legal practice to educating and leading clients to the clearest path for peaceful resolution of their unique issues. She helps distressed families, partnerships, and businesses move out of conflict using the most appropriate legal dispute resolution model, be that the collaborative practice model, mediation, arbitration, or litigation. Sandra received her undergraduate degree from DePaul University in 1984 and her Juris Doctorate from the John Marshall Law School in 1989. Her website where you can find more about Sandra and her practice is www.lawcrawford.com, and I'll spell that, L-A-W-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D.com. So again, lawcrawford.com. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we are welcome to callers. Our telephone number is 917-889-9732. Then you can press option 1 to be placed in our caller queue. Telephone number again, 917-889-9732. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information and entertainment program, and the advice shared on our show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with licensed attorneys on our show does not create client relationships. ProServe PR Marketing does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers are confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Topics we're going to cover on our show today in four segments. First, we'll talk about the demand for new advocacy practices in family law and domestic relations. Then in our second segment, we'll talk about a paradigm shift in family law and where litigation, mediation, and collaboration fit. 
Then we'll talk in our third segment about the benefits of serving your clients with civility in adopting collaborative skills. And finally, to round out our show in our fourth segment, we'll discuss incorporating other disciplines and professionals when serving clients in litigation, mediation, and collaboration. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Sandra Crawford. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Sandra, thank you for uh, carving out some time to talk to us about everything that you've uh, learned recently in uh, in your travels. Uh, for those out there who might not know you already, uh, please share with us a little bit about uh, who you are and your practice and how you got to the area where you focus on a lot of these issues we'll talk about today. Thanks, Dick. I've been practicing now. Um, this May, I'll be 22 years in practice. I became a trained mediator in 1994 and a collaborative um, practitioner in 2002 when the model was introduced here, the collaborative practice model of family law was introduced here in Illinois back in 2002. Um, It was brought here by the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. I ended up then serving on the board of directors and being president of that organization. Um, For many years I was on their board. Um, and have been since you know, the early 90s very in, uh, involved in thinking and talking about different ways to practice family law and um, other dispute resolutions when there's a need for the um, couple or the the uh, partnership or the um, disputants to find a way to have a sustained relationship after the um, legal issue is resolved, and definitely with families and um, closely held business, family businesses, there's often <laughs> the, not just the need, but it's imperative that the um, the dispute resolution model does not kill the relationship, because um, definitely with families, parents going forward needing to parent their children, uh, family businesses going forward still needing to be in a family relationship if they're no longer in a business relationship. So this, um, the, the models that I've sought after, which are mediation, a collaborative practice, preventative law, a therapeutic jurisprudence, um, kind of focus on not um, kind of killing the, you know, um, having the um, cure kill the patient, so to speak, um, but the, if the conflict resolution model leaves the parties in a worse place than they have been, when they started out, um, that would be kind of in you know in, in another analogy, a medical analogy, you know, killing the patient with the cure, so to speak. So that's where um, I've been seeking after ways in my practice, um, having litigated for many years, um, to bring kind of almost kinder, gentler procedures to um, models to make those available to my clients. Sounds good. Can you talk a little bit about this concept of new advocacy and how it's evolved into uh, and with the variety of practice styles out there? And many people know about um, a collaborative practice and mediation, but can you describe a little bit about the development of new advocacy uh, as a buzzword and as a concept? All right. So if we talk about traditional advocacy as the litigation model, um, arm's length negotiation, positional bargaining, exchange of offers, um, you know, assumed goals, um, information used to ambush, keeping things close to the chest, sacrificing the relationship, um, all in the, the uh, furtherance of kind of the winning, 
the concept of one side winning after um, after the conflict is resolved, um, someone being handed the the verdict, you won. Um, if we talk about that as the thing that we're comparing <laughs> new advocacy to, um, so the traditional model being a um, a winner takes all um, traditional litigation model, the new advocacy, the conflict resolution advocacy, or the um, collaborative advocacy stresses more a face-to-face negotiation, interest-based negotiation, uh, building consensus um, is dominated by the client understanding and articulating their values and belief system, exploring expanding options and goals as opposed to narrowing them, working very um, intentionally with the client around their expectations and their very specific goals. Um, using information to create options as opposed to kind of keeping information close to the chest until it has to be revealed pursuant to a subpoena or a demand for discovery or disclosure, and emphasizing transparency and full disclosure um, with the intention of building relationships and sustaining relationships and having the agreements that folks create being sustainable into the future. So they're kind of the two, you know, the the um, comparisons of what I call traditional advocacy, which is kind of the litigation, zealous, you know, represent the client, um, you know, their position um, without understanding um, what happens after you know that position wins? What ha- happens after the judge says, you know, husband is right, wife is wrong, mother is right, father is wrong? Um, you know, one business partner wins, the other part- partner loses. What happens to those um, to those cases and those conflicts? Do they really resolve, or do they leave folks in a worse place than when we found them? Um, as legal professionals when they come into our office to have um, us um, take care as their attorneys help them through a process and maybe for one client winning is is everything but I would um, challenge anybody who would really say in family court there is winners there's a um, a quote I heard out there by a gentleman by the name of Bill Eddy who does a lot of work in this area of um, high conflict um, couples and the quote is, you know, in family law court, um, it's the winners who get shot. Um, you know, it's, it's the, 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 you know, it's that, that um, old um, saying in terms of, you know, um, it's not always the winner. It's sometimes a pyrrhic victory um, because they, it just leads to more conflict, if that makes sense. It does. To folks, yeah. Uh, another question I have, there are several Mm, several perceived pros and cons of the different styles of litigation, uh, collaboration, and mediation, and not, you know, fairly enough, not everyone's on the same page. And I've heard, um, you know, individuals say that some some people are ma- are well matched for a collaborative process, some people are not. Uh, there are opinions all over the place. What are some of the perceived pros and cons of the different styles that you hear? Well, I, I, first of all, I, in, in any conversation we have about this, we've got to be very clear um, about what we're talking about. Collaborative practice is a very, very specific model of practice, as is mediation. It's not just adopting a more cooperative or collaborative mindset, small c. Collaborative practice 
big C, big P, is a very specific model. So in order to talk about kind of the pros and cons in that context, I would say folks would be well-deserved to have done some study, um, done some learning in that in that model. There is a two-day basic training um, component to be trained. There's some now international standards um, put out by the um, International Academy of Collaborative Practice, um, IACP, and there, those standards and information about that can be found at www.collaborativepractice.com. So, you know, in talking, we've got to be very careful. Um, it's not always evident um, when we're talking, when we say collaborative, because a lot of folks will say, but I have a collaborative mindset. I have a, a compromising mindset or a cooperative mindset. Is that enough? And I would say in if we're talking about the model itself, collaborative practice, definitely it's a start to to identify yourself as a somebody who who compromises, who settles a lot of their cases. Um, but collaborative practice, big C, big P is is a very specific model. So in bringing folks into that model, there is an assessment part and understand that that model is an interdisciplinary model where we have mental health professionals and financial professionals as well as attorneys. So there's um, a, a distinction to be drawn, which is not really evident, I think, when we talk about it, um, the difference between being trained in a collaborative process model versus just having a collaborative intention. Um, or a cooperative intention, and definitely there's a lot of folks out there who um, compromise and, and do reach a lot of settlements in their case, but that's very different than doing a case using the collaborative practice model, which does require the attorneys to withdraw if the case goes to litigation, which may be very different if you set out, um, say, I am an, a, a litigating attorney who compromises or resolves a lot of my cases, um, but in the context of litigation. Hopefully that is it's uh, probably a longer answer to the question of what's the risk and benefits, but I think we've got to be very careful about distinguishing practice versus intention. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It does, it does. Another question that stems off this this uh, demand for new advocacy, demand for collaboration mm -hmm. and the collaborative practice model, is that are you seeing it coming more from clients or from the attorneys and are is the public uh responding well? I think the public you know, this demand generated in a public that is now more educated um, you know, in the last ten years. Um, over the last 10 years, if you look at the just the explosion of the Internet and that folks um, coming to attorneys' offices may now well have done lots and lots of research, including reading statutes, <laughs> you know, and coming to the attorney's office already well-informed and having, you know, joined blogs and um, asked questions and gotten a lot of free information because now the Internet is so wide open and folks have a lot of information before they arrive at an, an attorney's door. So I think the the public is driving this need for um, a change in the profession and how the legal profession responds to clients, first of all, because they're just much more educated and um, just the the access to research is just much more um, apparent where anybody can go in and, you know, Google, you know, joint custody or, or child support before they arrive on my doorstep as a practitioner to ask me those questions. So I think 
just the the whole you know the whole ten years and what's going to come, we have a different clientele. Um, a different uh, level of education in folks seeking legal services. So that's kind of where, you know, I think it's forcing the profession to look at itself. It's forcing the profession to say, to examine what is it, what is this product we have to offer to clients. So that's kind of a starting point for that conversation is, um, yes, the, the need is being driven by, um, by the clients then that need is, and the, the law has always been an evolution, right? It's an evolutionary mm. process. Yes. Um, it's not a stagnant thing. I think, you know, we do, and kind of when you look at a broad historical perspective, yes, the law is pretty stable. But in terms of, um, you know, those of us who have practiced over the last, you know, 22 years of practice, I've definitely seen um, differences in my in how, first of all, my client's awareness and then in the interrelationship between professionals. And I would say, you know, with the, at least here in Illinois, with the, you know, in the, the last, you know, five to ten years, the Commission on, uh, on um, Professionalism, you know, examining things like incivility in the practice, the rise in, in um, um, complaints about attorneys and ethical violations. I think the, you know, there's, there's a dynamic there that has forced the um, the profession to look at itself and seek out new ways. I mean, definitely, um, you know, I practice with some folks here in my office who have been practicing for 50 years, and they talk about the kind of the good old days when <laughs> the, the profession was more civil and that that, you know, downturn has been coming um, starting in the 80s, 90s, um, through today that, you know, the practice of law has become a, become increasingly more, um, you know, in, 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 you know, the civility quotient is way down. And I think, you know, just anecdotally, if you talk to, to folks who, who are out in practice, they will say, you know, um, it's kind of a dog-eat-dog world out there. And I think clients see that and they don't appreciate it. And especially in the family law area, I think the profession as a whole gets a bad rap. Um, we're still the brunt of a lot of jokes at cocktail parties. And you still, uh, I, I, you know, I know a lot of uh, my colleagues still get the when you say, oh, uh, you know, what what do you do? I'm a lawyer. You get the kind of oh, oh, you know, is that what you do? Kind of response sometimes. So I think all of that combines to say yes, there is a demand for for change, and that's coming both from within and outside the profession. Well, that is a good thing to hear, and I appreciate that that answer and. I believe that um, as we continue to all do our part in increase people's awareness about different models that we see in new advocacy types of uh, situations, that more people will be uh, finding more information, blogs, content, and things out there and learning more about this. We're going to pause for our first break, and I'm going to tell you about an event, and then we'll come back and talk about a paradigm shift in family law and where litigation, mediation, collaboration fit with each other. All right, I want to tell you about an upcoming event this summer. Um, not about collaboration, but we're talking about litigation here, and uh, this is a general civil litigation event. Um, it's, what it is is the National Association of Legal Investigators, which I suppose also uh, can work with uh, collaboration. Um, but at any rate, uh, it's this summer in Chicago at the Hotel Avenue Crown Plaza, June 7th through June 9th. Again, it's the National Association of Legal Investigators holding its national conference to celebrate NALI's 
45th anniversary. Presenters at this event include Cynthia Hetherington, Nick Augustine, Andrea Lyon, Todd Throne, Jed Stone, and representatives from Dynamic Safety, LLC, and Reed and & Associates. Attorneys are encouraged to attend this event, and as always, the presenters for this NALI conference are the best of the best in their fields, and you will learn new information that you can take home and put to use immediately. The presentations are balanced with criminal, civil, and general litigation issues to best educate all attending. NALI members and attorneys who are learning more about working with NALI certified investigators are certainly encouraged to attend and find out more information. This is a good event for public defender colleagues, paralegals, and attorneys, again, who are encouraged to attend this event. If you'd like more information, please direct your inquiries to the Office for NALI, that is the National Association of Legal Investigators, at area code 517. 517- 372-1500. The telephone number again is area code 517-372-1500. Now back to our show with Sandra Crawford talking about new advocacy concepts in family law. Our next topic is the paradigm shift in family law and where litigation, mediation, and collaboration fit. Sandra, um, can you describe, first of all, a perceived uh, need to embrace this paradigm shift and what some of the discussion is? Yeah, I'd like to to share with your audience um, the work of Dr. Julie McFarland. She has done extensive research in the area of kind of advocacy models and and how um, old paradigms and old um, traditional practices versus kind of the new emerging practice. And her work is called The New Lawyer, How Settlement is Transforming the Practice of Law. She is um, out of the University of Vancouver, um, and this is a wonderful book for anybody, um, you know, interested in this topic, interested in kind of the, the scholarship around not just how to practice law, but how we get here and how we think of new um, new things, but the you know f- um, if you're talking kind of it's a spectrum, a spectrum of conflict resolution. Um, you know, on the one end you have folks who are able to sit at their kitchen table and um, come up with their own agreements. In the middle you have, um, you know, in the middle of the spectrum you have folks who want to to place an emphasis on their beliefs and values, but need professionals to to help them do that and in that um, part of the spectrum is mediation and collaboration and then on the other end of the spectrum is folks who need somebody to tell them what the the answer is and on that end of the spectrum you have um, arbitration and litigation so if you kind of think of it as a you know across across the spectrum but on the traditional end you know um, traditional legal thinking and practice is very rights-based oriented um, a confidence that the court will produce the best um, result for the client. On the other end of the spectrum, on the collaborative end of the spectrum, it's um, thinking um, an orientation where conflicts are seen as opportunities for growth and in- incubators for uh, reconstructing communication and interpersonal dynamics, and also kind of an endorsement of kind of a cl- more client-centered model where the parties are supported in their problem-solving by an interdisciplinary team without the recourse to an adjudicator, an arbitrator, or a judge, 
or um, a chancellor who's going to say, this is the outcome. And in a, a society where self-determination is, is one of those um, things that folks, when you talk to, most appreciate, they want to make their own decisions. Um, folks want to, to have a say-so in the outcome. Um, this whole idea of shifting from a paradigm that says, you know, somebody else will make the decision for you based on a very rigid set uh, of articulated rights to um, a system where you say you, client, can help determine your outcome and you can do that by understanding and learning new techniques and new models for communication, understanding um, interpersonal dynamics and understanding conflict resolution um, I, kind of from, from a scientific point of view, so to speak. Um, and so that's kind of the, the paradigm shift and the continuum <laughs> and where this idea of uh, um, the concept of paradigm shift. There's also some, some really good works out there by folks who do um, are in the forefront of, of collaborative work. Um, there's Miss um, Pauline Tesler from an attorney out in California. Her book, Collaborative Law, Achieving Effective Resolution in Divorce Without Litigation, published by the ABA. I believe that's in its second publication. It was originally published in 2001. It's a wonderful, another wonderful guide, as is a book by Forrest Mostyn, The Collaborative Divorce Handbook, Helping Families Without Going to Court, uh, published by John Wiley and Sons. So there's a lot of reading, and all of this reading can be found on the um, IACP website at that www.collaborativepractice.com. There's an extensive bibliography for folks who are interested in understanding the paradigm shift, understanding kind of the the change in the mindset that has to go on in, in lawyers, you know, um, the kind of mindset that the lawyer is the one in charge and responsible for everything on the litigation end to the mindset where the lawyer is the negotiating partner with the client, um, educating the client, helping the client articulate um, needs and interests, and helping the client stay focused on sustainable outcomes. Um, you know, this whole idea in, in litigation about this zealous advocacy, which unfortunately um, the idea of zealous advocacy is an important one, but it has somehow now gotten lost in this morass of incivility. Um, you know, it's it's been equated with you know in, um, uncivil, incivil or uncivil behavior. Um, in the the you know when the paradigm shifts, it's a model to where the lawyers are pledged to be part of the solution, pledged to to work respectfully. Um, and to to interact in ways that support, you know, getting away from conflict as suppose, as opposed to support, you know, more conflict, more fighting, more um, more distress for the client. Um, and finally, in the kind of in the, that paradigm shift thought, you know, it's um, moving from a system of fault finding and blame. You know, she did it, he did it, they're wrong, we're right, to a system where we focus on interest-based negotiation and employing negotiation techniques, um, and that work, that whole interest-based negotiation, is work um, 
that has been done at the Harvard Negotiation Project, and it started, I believe, with the getting to yes, um, negotiating agreements without giving in um, work by Roger Fisher and William Urey and Bruce Patton that was done in the um, 1980s. And it's definitely for folks who are interested, again, in exploring um, interest-based negotiations, my recommendation is to start out with the the getting to yes uh, material and then the stuff, all the material that came after getting to yes, um, which is the power of the positive no. Um, um, there's several good works out there. Uh, if folks are interested in that, all of that stuff can be found um, in the resource section on the IACP website. Excellent. Now, one of the questions that comes in my head uh, when we talk about this paradigm shift and the shift of the schema and the approach to things, um, I can see how some attorneys embracing collaborative practice may, you know, as you're starting to look at uh, some of these different options of who's really making the decisions and who's empowered, um, I can see how some people who practice traditional litigation are trying to adopt um, some new, some of these new models, but they aren't necessarily, a, you know, small C, small or large C, large P collaborative practice model. Mm-hmm. Um, is is it's it's not either or. I mean, it's kind of it's a very interesting dynamic. I see people in in different stages in making that shift. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, it is a new concept, and like any new concept. Um, there's going to be a, lo- a long adjustment period. Um, folks um, identifying, as I said, that they they are um, have a collaborative spirit or a collaborative mindset or compromising mindset, but who are not yet trained in a collaborative um, um, process. Um, and that's why we've got to be very clear about what we're talking about. Or you know, the folks who said I've I've always. Um, been collaborative. I've always practiced that way. That is 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 honorable. It's it's wonderful. It's it's great to to for folks to be able to identify what their um, own problem solving uh, um, persona is. Right. Very different to being trained in a model because the model um, the 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 model is very specific that the uh, the attorneys do have to withdraw. If the clients decide after all of the resources are used and all of the techniques are used to help the clients come to a resolution, if those clients then decide, no, I would prefer to have a third-party decision-maker make the decision, be that a judge or, you know, a arbitrator or a, you know, quote-unquote rent-a-judge um, for the day, um, which is available now also, you can um, have bring in retired um, judges who will come in and act as arbitrators for for a day on an issue. Um, If folks finally decide, you know, we want somebody else to make the decision, then the attorneys who are in that big C, big P collaborative case are committed by written agreement signed with their attorneys at the beginning of a case to withdraw. And this is nothing new in kind of in the European system, in the our British system, the you know barrister solicitor paradigm exists there, you know where the solicitor worked up the case, and then the barristers try the case in our american system um u s system we don't have that distinction, so I think it's a little bit of a harder um concept to get your mind around, 
because kind of the highest, um, you know, the, the, a lot of value has been placed on the aggressive litigator, the, you know, the gladiator part of the um, the profession versus the peacemaker part of the profession. And this is where I like to pull out my my the, the famous Lincoln quote when Lincoln was um, was mentoring a young. Um, a young uh, lawyer, and he said um, to this young lawyer, discourage litigation, persuade your neighbors to compromise whenever they can, uh, point out to them how nominal winners is often a real loser in fees, expense, and waste of time. As a peacemaker, the lawyer has a superior opportunity of being a good man. There will be business enough. Um, so I love that Lincoln quote hmm. from hmm. 1850. Um, so I, for me, I think Illinois specifically has a very long history in this um, idea of um, collaboration. I think it, you know, in the 1990s. In fact, on January 1st, 1990, when um, Stu Webb, the what they they call the, the grandfather of collaborative of the collaborative practice model when he declared himself a collaborative practitioner. Um, I think it was out of that kind of, you know, the lawyer as peacemaker versus the lawyer as gladiator. Um, but these are new, they, these are really relatively new concepts, and um, I frequently lecture to, to law students, and last week I was down at the John Marshall Law School, my alma mater, talking to a classroom of 60 or so law students and they asked you know you know where is this coming from you know you know uh, how prevalent is this whole um you know new advocacy paradigm shift you know collaborative and i said you know i'll give you some perspective there's about 90,000 lawyers in illinois in the collaborative practice the collaborative law institute of illinois there's about 160 um, practitioners across three professions. So we are definitely not at a tipping point in this discussion about new advocacy paradigm shifts. What are the different models with, uh, within under the new advocacy umbrella? Um, definitely mediation is one of those um, models under the new advocacy umbrella. Um, and that's been probably around for the last 25, 30 years, but even mediation is kind of slow in being adopted into the culture. Um, folks have maybe heard about it a little bit more now than collaborative practice, but, you know, there's still, I think, a lot of misinformation about what it is and the, the risks and benefits. Going back to your earlier question is what's the risk and benefits of, of each one of the models, um, I think, um, with mediation, you have, um, even though I'm a lawyer and I'm a trained mediator, when I'm serving as a mediator, I cannot give legal advice. It's unethical for a, a mediator because a mediator is a neutral facilitator, facilitating communication to get resolution. Um, even though your primary profession is as a lawyer, if you're hired in that role, you're a facilitator. Where in a collaborative role, I am very much giving legal advice educating and um, advising my client and advocating, albeit not advocating in kind of the gladiator model in front of a tribunal. I'm advocating for my client's um, highest goals and best outcomes and advocating for the process also that, you know, it's not necessarily your gain, my loss, um, especially in family law. 
situations where you also have stakeholders like children and sometimes the you know the the trying to apportion resources between the parties can have really adverse effects on the children and the entire family structure very very true there are so many demands on everyone in the process of dissolution um uh, and anything that people can do to make it an easier process, especially as you've uh, mentioned on the children, that is certainly a good thing for the future. We're going to pause shortly for a next uh, sponsor message and then come back and talk a little bit more about the benefits in serving your clients with civility and adopting collaborative skills. I want to tell you about a combination offer from the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine. Super low price they have right now. Uh, it's lawbulletin.com forward slash combo. Again, this deal can be found at law lawbulletin.com forward slash combo, C-O-M-B-O. For a limited time, Law Bulletin Publishing Company is offering a special one-year subscription rate of $159, which is 43% off the normal subscription rate. Plus, if you act now, you'll receive free one-year subscription to the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, which is a $60 value. So subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin by April 30th, 2012, and you will also receive Chicago Lawyer for 2012. You will uh, you'll save $180, and in addition to daily coverage from the Daily Center, Federal Courthouse, and the Illinois Supreme Court, the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin includes a variety of benefits, such as profiles of corporate counsel, lobbyists, legislators, and judges, case summaries and analysis, including Steve Garmis's trial notebook, sports law stories, transactional law stories for non-litigators, Daily insights and trends, including comings and goings within the legal community, as well as comprehensive Collar County court call coverage with all the recent additions of Will and Kane counties, and more stories and photos from the Collar counties generally. Again, you can visit lawbulletin.com forward slash combo to take advantage of this special uh, year special offer that runs through October, again, through, I'm sorry, not October, but April 30th, 2012, at the rate of $159. Great deal there. So, um, now back to our program with uh, Senator Crawford. We were talking about new advocacy and uh, collaborative practice model, uh, as well as mediation and other changes and paradigm shifts in the family law arena, uh, generally speaking. Let's talk a little bit more now, Sandra, about benefits in serving the clients with civility and adopting collaborative skills, wherein uh, not only, again, as you pointed out before the break, not only uh, the the parties with their resources are being taxed, but also the children and uh, their emotional well-being. And I would say, you know, that the, the benefits here are we do have to talk about um, costs. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, I think w when the, the conversation does turn to collaborative practice, um, kind of the, the thumbnail sketches, you know, oh, is it because it's cheaper and quicker? And I would like to stay away from that um, um, kind of just very shorthand way of talking about it. Yes, there have been studies done by the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, IACP, a five-year study um, was done of collaborative cases nationwide. And understand now collaborative practice is practiced in all, all states in the United States and in 24 countries around the world. So um, studies were done um, collecting data from um, successful and unsuccessful cases. And I don't know that the model is served well by saying it is cheaper 
and quicker, but the, that's what the studies, you know, the, the studies support it is that they can be less costly. And I think it's in terms of this civility quotient that all of the resources are um, spent on kind of looking for the solution as opposed to, um, you know, motion practice, battling back and forth, um, discovery wars. I think the thing that drives up costs in litigation sometimes are not things that are focused on the ultimate outcome. Um, there's a lot of posturing, a lot of discovery wars that um, may prove unnecessary. I do tell clients, um, and when my clients come into my office, I do um, educate them on all options. I do believe our responsibility as responsible practitioners, uh, you know, no matter what road we take our clients down is to let them know, you know, door number one, litigation, door number two, mediation, door number three, a collaboration, door number four, kitchen table negotiation, door number five, you tell me, Mr. Client or Miss Client, what you want. So I think we do have to educate the client on, on the spectrum um, and, you know, talk about cost, talk about kind of controlling cost, containment of cost. And I think um, clients have a much better um, chance of containing costs in um, a collaborative setting and in a mediation setting than they do in a courthouse setting um, where there is kind of that contest going on um, and sometimes there is the hide the ball and um, the need for discovery wars. Um, So kind of describing that, that's the benefit to the client to know, first of all, that they have options in choosing the process, in choosing where they start. And then when they choose collaboration or mediation, there's a definite conversation around budgetary goals. You know, I say to folks when they come into my office, you had a budget for your for your wedding, even if it was just the flowers and the license, what is your budget for this divorce? Think about it, because it's not the ultimately... It's not the other party paying. Ultimately, it's the marital estate paying for the divorce because you know income is is still considered um, an asset prior to to divorce. So it's out of um, you know your your budget for your monthly expenses that it gets paid, or out off the top of the marital estate. So in terms of what are the costs are, and I also say to folks, most folks who come into my office. If you're going to fight about money, you need to have, you know, the I use the the Walgreens example. You need to have Walgreens type money, a store on every corner where folks are handing you cash, because the the fight about money can is not cost effective in, in most regards, especially for kind of middle income um, families who and and lower income families. Maybe if there's an unlimited fund, but I would even say my high net worth clients are very conscious about their their budget. So the benefits in kind of adopting a more civil, um, very um, tailored process such as collaborative practice has to do with kind of cost and has to do with control. And most clients do want to. I mean, the question I get most, first of all, how much and how fast? Um, because clients really do, um, if they're in pain because of um, a, a breakdown in a family relationship in the, their marriage, 
um, they are very concerned about roof overhead, food on table, shoes on feet, which are some very primal um, concerns we all have around um, security and and safety. Um, so most clients won't, won't, won't tell you that they want to stay in that process for too long. Um, and this is where cross-training with um, having the lawyers cross-train with mental health professionals and financial professionals so those resources can become um, important in also talking about time-saving and cost-saving so that the benefits um, to the clients can be maximized. Um, you know, the lawyers doing lawyer work, the mental health folks doing um, the emotional work with the clients and the financial folks um, helping to do some future projections. All right, what does it mean if you get all of the pension? What does it mean if you get all of the house? What does that mean in terms of, of you know, longer range, range plans for the for the the family, and whether folks can afford it? In, in this particular, the last three to five years of the economic market, um, we're seeing a lot of folks now not having equity in their house um, that they can draw on to have sustained litigation. So um, that's become a concern. And the financial folks um, out there, at least the folks who work within the collaborative law community in Illinois, are called certified um, divorce financial analysts, CDFPs or CDFAs. Um, there's a very specific um, kind of understanding around divorce finance. And then the folks who work in the mental health um, aspect um, are child specialists and what are called divorce, collaborative divorce coaches, and they're not doing therapy. They're doing very um, targeted intervention work to help folks um, understand better their emotional concerns, understand better um, relationship concerns, and understand how to get new tasks and tools around communicating better, because the irony of it with um, with divorcing couples at least or separating couples is they're probably at an all-time low in their ability to communicate when they're when they come to a divorce um when they're going to have to communicate at least to their lawyers about their needs about their interests about their goals about their long-term um concerns for their children and their their estate so communication um becomes a very effective communication becomes a very high priority for those folks and I think in the old paradigm where the attorney was in charge, that um, communication may not have been um, a you know may not have been recognized as being truly necessary because the lawyer would speak for you. Um, in the the new paradigm and the new under the new advocacy rules, the client is very much encouraged to speak for themselves, and the benefit there is. If you have clients speaking up and understanding what their needs and interests are, then on the back end you don't have dissatisfied clients. So there's a benefit to the profession because you don't have disgruntled clients. You have clients who are very much empowered to say what they need um, and do that effectively. And if they need some help, the resources, they, um, you know, if they can't do that because of the emotion, well, the resources are out there to have um the mental health pe folks step in who are also collaboratively trained to help um, the folks be more, um, to communicate better, um, you know, with not only with their lawyer, but with their spouse, 
with their children, with any resources, with their children's school, um, any resources they may need in the community to get them to a restructured place. Um, and that's what divorce is. It's not really a dis- dissolution. You can't totally dissolve the relationship. You have to restructure the relationship in a way that's productive and leaves folks um, in, a, in a good place to go forward and to, you know, quote unquote, live happily ever after. If we could guarantee that, we'd be out of business, right? But um, the benefits are to not only to the clients, but to the profession, too, I believe. And interdisciplinary training with um, the attorneys, mental health, and financial um, folks really gives a different, has to me anyway, given me a very different perspective on the work I'm doing with my client and has definitely given me insights into how to better help the client identify what they need. Mm-hmm. And I think that another benefit there that we'll talk about after we take one short final last break is the integration of interdisciplinary uh, pra- practices and different professionals also serving the best interests of the child. So we're going to pause and I'm going to come right back. I just want to tell our audience out there a little note about our consulting program here at ProServe PR Marketing. From solo practitioners to large law firm managers, we talk to all sorts of different folks and we receive invitations to come to firms and present lunch and learning workshops for the benefit of not only transactional and also little litigation and collaborative and mediation attorneys as well who want to know more about how to use digital media, public relations, and marketing opportunities to leverage their achievements and organic content and contributions to their practice areas and also to further their career and engage new clients and referrals. So call us today to learn more and uh, set up an appointment. The telephone number is 312 Five zero five two six zero four. Again, three one two five zero five two six zero four for ProServe PR marketing and our lunch and learn uh, series. So it's uh, we basically come into the firm and uh, do a luncheon, do a small workshop. We also have materials from the ARDC on some topics to again help people embrace digital and all the different media options without um, getting in trouble with some of the risks and ethical concerns that uh, many people have. So. At any rate, 312-505-2604 for that. We also want to remind our listeners to share our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people do find our shows on their friends and colleagues' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank all of you for your support in sharing our program with each other. Now, back to our uh, discussion with Sandra Crawford. I want to ask a little bit more about the new advocacy umbrella and the different models, such as collaboration, uh, in incorporating multiple multiple disciplinary professionals um, specifically uh, towards the best interests of the children. Mm-hmm. And in this role, the role of the child specialist is, I think, just increasingly, um, for me, um, more important in terms of helping um, clients be- build and sustain good parenting agreements, not just ra- drafting the agreements, but actually sustaining them and understanding from the child's perspective what kind of the developmental stages your children are at and how um, the parenting plan sometimes has to evolve. If you've got very um, small children, how this document is not just something you draft in time, but that it is something that will be evolving and growing with the child. And the child specialist is a mental health um, professional that has 
not only collaborative skills training and licensure in their profession, be that as um, a social worker, licensed LCSW or PsyD or psychiatrist, depending on the needs of the family, but also um, has um, very specific um, children and usually children and adolescent um, practice um, that they come out of an environment where they're doing counseling for children or have um, some specialty in working with um, you know children's special needs such as ADHD. Um, I've seen a lot of cases lately where the children have Asperger's or um, um, autism, um, learning disabled children. Um, so the folks who are doing this work, and they can, the names of the folks doing this work in Illinois can be found on the um, Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois website, which is www.collablawill.org. Uh, or you can find the Illinois group if you go to collaborativepractice.com, the international group. All of the local and state groups are part of the international organization, so you can get, you can access the folks who are doing specifically doing this work. And I think they differ in um, very much in in um, approach and in in style to what we have in the litigated system, which is usually a um, an attorney, a child's representative, or a GAL, which is usually an attorney. Um, appointed to to be the advocate um, for the child, the voice of the child, the child's lawyer. Very different when you have a mental health professional who is serving as an advocate for the child's needs and and it, translating for the parents who themselves are in conflict and who may not be as attentive as they normally would to their child their child's needs while they're going through a divorce because the parents are are experienced trauma at that point in time. So sometimes the children's voices get lost, and definitely there's great work that goes on in the court system with um, attorneys advocating for the child, but I think there's a special um, quality to the work when child specialists um, you know, interact with the children and bring back the voice of the child into the collaborative container. Um, child specialists would also sign off and not be part of um, any testifying um, or any, they wouldn't serve in a witness capacity if the case went to litigation. So as to protect them and help, you know, bring the child's voice to the table and have the parents hear from a professional who's skilled and practiced in the area of child development what their specific child needs now and what the child may need in the future. Um, so that's a real different um, experience working with child advocates who are attorneys versus child advocates who are mental health professionals with often years and years of training. Um, most of the folks who do this work here in Illinois, as I said, they can be found on the Collaborative Law website here in Illinois, but they have you know years of of child development and working um, in you know in um, clinical settings with children and with you know seeing sometimes counseling to children who have been the product of quote unquote bad divorces mm-hmm. so they have really very unique perspectives and i believe um great things to bring to the table in a collaborative setting um much greater than um you know my brethren who are 
GALs and, uh, and child representatives, they do a wonderful job, but I think the perspective is very different than the perspective mental health folks who work day-to-day with children can bring um, to, to the problem-solving continuum of how do we help this family restructure, how do we help them be successful, how do we stay focused on the children's needs, and specifically if those children have, have special needs, be they learning dis- disabilities or, you know, the child is a prodigy and <laughs> needs the parents to come together um, to, you know, support the child's Olympic goals or something like that. Um, so there's definitely um, a, a qualitative difference in working with those professionals um, because they're not, you know, um, advocates um, um, hired. They're not, quote, unquote, hired guns. They're not hired to kind of, you know, um, make make the... Um, you know the the decision like Solomon um they are um bringing the problem solving here's what this child needs now how do we fit it into the plan um so that we don't end up with a thing called a parenting plan or a joint parenting agreement that in um reality doesn't work uh when folks are when the process the, the divorce process is over um and those folks the child specialists can arguably stay on with the family after the collaborative um, process is finished and are often used as resources um, for the families to go back to if there is conflict in the future. And there will be, you know, where people, um, you know, just because we've finished a parenting agreement, a joint parenting agreement, does not foreclose the fact that there might be issues that arise in the future by virtue of the fact of the child is older, the child is articulating different needs, um, there's a different dynamic in the family because one or the other parents have gotten remarried. So there's a lot for those folks to do. And as I said, I've just in the last 10 years been very lucky to experience the success of using a mental health professional to be that child specialist to really help um, the collaborative team, which is the parties, their two collaborative attorneys, um, to help craft really um, sustainable parenting agreements. You know, Sandra, one of the things that I think about when you talk about the children working together and working with the child's uh the child advocates uh is that after the divorce and further on in life, children who experience a witness divorce are going to have their own schema through which they look at things and I can see where uh, a benefit of the collaborative model is that there's not a sense of mom wins or dad wins or who's right or who's wrong and teaching them to work all together um, as a family unit for the future, I think, leaves the door more wide open that sometimes the breakdown of a marriage is um, and a breakdown of the family unit uh, is caused by many, many things. And so, you know, depending on the age of the children, it can be a, a, an arguably complex and, um, you know, difficult thing. And I think children, even though they hear and listen to uh, an individual telling them that it's, it's neither parent's fault, I still think that there's an inclination to pick sides when, when you have children. Um, so at any rate, I just think about the kids and their best interest moving on, not only through you know childhood but into early adulthood. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it as the parents are the mirrors for the children in terms of how the children go into the world and resolve their own conflicts, here it becomes very important for you know there to be some education around good conflict management, 
good communication skills. So it really is, this time of divorce is really an opportunity for the parents to learn some new skills, for the family to adjust, especially if there's been high conflict, especially if there's been a lot of conflict and a lot of poor communication leading to poor decision-making, leading to to, to, um, problems within the family. This is an opportunity, and the folks who are really on the forefront of educating about that are the mental health folks, and I think they have a lot to add and educate um, the lawyers about good conflict resolution management, good communication skills training, and um, any of the collaborative groups, including the one here in Illinois, it's not just getting your basic skills training in collaboration, but then going on to have um, a continuing ed commitment to um, working on um, getting better communication skills, getting, you know, understanding um, your own conflict management style, understanding how to, to, to better help folks through the, some very difficult times and staying yourself shielded from the conflict because I think too often lawyers become, they take on their clients' uh, um, conflict in a way that's very personal so they become then, uh, you know, um, negative advocates as opposed to positive advocates for positive outcomes they become embroiled um, personally and ident- over-identify with um, some of the client's concerns and then kind of remove their own neutrality um, and become less obje- objective. And that then feeds into this whole idea of lawyers being, um, you know, the civility quotient going down and, and lawyers being part of the problem as opposed to what we are, um, our highest and best use is being part of the solution helping folks identify what their needs are, and sometimes their needs aren't strictly legal needs. They are emotional and financial needs that aren't getting met. So definitely, um, you know, my experience in having, you know, lawyers um, attend um, continuing education pieces with mental health professionals and financial professionals has really been um, eye-opening and a growth, and I would recommend it to anybody who is interested in transitioning their practice to a kind of a more fulfilling professional um, response, you know, um, experience um, that this interdisciplinary work. I mean, if we look at the medical model, um, team conferencing and interdisciplinary um, conferencing within the medical setting has been going on now for many years. You know, you just don't bring in the the heart doctor, but you bring in the heart doctor and the lung doctor and the um, pain medication um, specialist to to help the the patient get better. Here, in if we equate our clients to the patient, then we come back to it's not just their legal needs that need to get tended to; it's their emotional and financial needs also, and their needs for security going into the future. So, having kind of a broader base of folks to to draw on becomes very powerful for the client plus there is a you know a cost effectiveness in having the attorney not serve as the client's counselor and i think a lot of my brethren would would agree that on a lot of days you end up at least in the family law area and i would submit i did um mechanic lien law for a long time even with those clients construction clients you sometimes end up being, you know, the agony ant, the, you know, the, the sympathetic ear, trying to give some counseling around what to do with sometimes non-legal problems. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, when the client comes to you. And, you know, it's all well and good to say, oh, you need to, you know, refer to your therapist. Um, but, you know, clients want those needs met right now before you can get to the discussion of, now I need you to prepare you for a hearing. They, you know, they can't hear, um, you know, wh- what they need to, to hear until they've kind of unloaded or decompressed or or um, debriefed on the emotional concerns they have. So having coaches and mental health folks on the team really helps um, me as the attorney stay very focused on my role, which is to give legal advice, to educate, to be the navigator. Um, so I'm in a way um, the um, general contractor for services. You know, they come to me and I say, okay, you know, it's not just go off and see your therapist, but here's someone who I can bring onto the team of professionals so that we're doing more of a medical model of teams, of all of the folks, if that makes sense, um, supporting, acting as a network for the family as they go through this very difficult time. You know, I I think that what will continue to happen, Sandra, is more people will find more information, and the more we have discussions like this one, the more we can approach things from different angles, because I know that there are still some people who are hesitant and reluctant to change the ways that they've been doing things for years, uh, whether that be the attorneys or the the parties in uh, in divorce who assume things operate a certain way and um, again it's just a matter of time and commitment and having these conversations so I want to thank you for your time today and I'd like to ask you if you could give our listeners uh, some information on how they can get a hold of you and or other resources where they can continue learning about new advocacy mediation collaboration and the different models available in family Mm law I would welcome anybody to, to contact me at law Crawford at att.net. That is my um, email address. Also, to check out some of the resources that I've been giving throughout the this um, broadcast, the um, collaborativepractice.com is a wonderful resource. Collablawill.org, yet another wonderful resource. If folks, I think the kind of the first step is understanding and understanding at least the collaborative law model and in the mediation model is is some training. Um, I am part of, I'm I'm very honored to be part of a training company now that does um, two-day basic skills training. Um, Definitely that's um, a resource. We just finished a very successful two-day basic training up in Rockford, Illinois this past weekend. Um, So anybody interested in training should contact me at lawcrawford at att.net. And on the IACP website, the International Collaborative um, um, website at collaborativepractice.com, there are trainings around the country and indeed around the world that folks can go to. Um, The um, Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois gives... um, 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 yearly, semi-yearly trainings in communication skills. Um, coming up this May is a wonderful gentleman from Britain we're bringing in, who does um, who um, does very specific pieces on communications with clients. Um, it's called Breakthrough um, Communicating with Your Clients. So they are able to collaborate. Um, information regarding that can be found on collaborative um, collablawill.org. But anybody needing more information, please feel free to contact me. 
All right, Sandra, I want to thank you for your time this hour and sharing uh, your wisdom and thoughts on these topics. Thank you, Nick, as always. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'd also like to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of Law Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe PR Marketing and with support from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Life Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our legal industry professionals and consumers, as well as guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With our guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program and bring people together to share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.